My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 65 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everyone, on this week's show we take a deep dive with Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland on power and watts as a metric for training and racing. Is it better than HR and pace? Can it predict race times better? Let's find out. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Hey guys, hope you are all well and first up a massive congratulations to Becky Quinn on her 100 race win on the mountains with Imra. 100 wins from 204 races as well as a strong record of volunteering in Imra races representing Ireland at world championship level and we can actually add I think one more race to that 100 race wins as Becky also won the over 45 gold medal at the Masters World Mountain Running Championships in Clonmel last summer so congrats again Becky on that outstanding record 100 wins with Imra absolutely incredible in other race news we had the first big international race of the season last weekend in the trans canaria and there was a good irish crew there this year i've seen at least 20 irish runners on the results sheet with rachel nolan the standout performance with an excellent ninth place with 18 hours 59 minutes in the 128 kilometer race right across the whole island of grand canaria so well done rachel on that big run the overall win went to the always impressive Courtney Delwater in 14 hours, 40 minutes, who was seventh overall in the entire race. One hour, 46 minutes clear of the second place female athlete, Jasmine Lauder from Canada. And in the men's race, the always impressive as well, Spanish runner Andreu Sumon from Team Asics took the win in 13 hours and 39 minutes. Before we call in Rene, guys, for our coaching slot, a big thank you to Mario Sullivan, Anthony Cornfort, and Sean Dwyer. All three became Patreons since our last show. Thank you guys for helping to keep us going and a massive thank you, as I say in every show, to all of our Patreons who tune in every week and also support the show. Thank you very much, guys. If you haven't got a chance yet and if you like listening to the show on your runs, please do look up Trail Running Ireland podcast on Patreon, where for three euros a month, you can help keep us going. And wouldn't that be a nice number to aim for? Just like Becky, um, who had the 100 race wins, why not uh, let's set ourselves an episode target of 100 shows to get to over the next year or two. Right, so enough chit-chat, guys. Let's get down to the good stuff and call in our resident genius on all things running, Let's chat power with Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rene, great to see you. And um, it was good to see you in person last week. We came down from the highlands of Wicklow to the flatlands of Wesley College for a, a business house four mile cross country. And uh, it was good to get some speed in on the beautiful rugby pitches of Wesley College. I hope you enjoyed it, Rene, as well. 
yeah, you know, with cross country enjoyment is always a relative word, but it was very interesting to be back um, because I, it was the first time since 2010. And I noticed in your own notes, it was the same for you uh, that yeah. you'd been back doing a BHAA race. Yeah, it was. It was a long time, really, 12 years. And I used to love them while I was permanently based in Ireland and for somebody who who enjoyed the hills and from a track background I, I always find that the cross country is actually it's a perfect combination of being able to take advantage of the strength from the hills and then speed from your road running or your track work and if you can combine the two cross country is actually it's a perfect place for you to run and uh yeah i really enjoyed it last weekend and not a hill inside of course uh, on that particular business house course it was very very flat but very very enjoyable as they always were when they have great memories of the business house races and it was good to be back good to be back at one of them last week yeah, I was curious. I noticed one of the girls who raced it had counted the amount of sharp corners on the four-mile course, and it was 52, <laughs> 52 sharp corners, and it did feel that way as well. Um, it yeah. did, it did. Um, but really, we've got a, a fascinating topic today, and we're going to take an extra couple of minutes on it. We can go for a deep dive, because I think people will really enjoy it and appreciate maybe the information that we're going to go through. And um, We're going to talk about power. Really. And I've been looking forward to this chat over the last couple of days because I, I really enjoy looking at my pace metrics, my heart rate metrics. And to be honest, I'm kind of happy with that, Randy. And of course, RPE as well, that we've mentioned on numerous occasions on the podcast, rate of perceived exertion. But you're throwing a new one at me now. And you're telling me that it's fantastic and that we can all use it and we'll, we'll all be able to use it very very well so i'm looking forward to hearing all about power Rene. um what do you know well i hope i know a good bit uh, just in case some people think about tuning out straight away you know because they might not be interested in in power we're going to try and make it a little bit relevant beyond just discussing this metric although i'm going to make the case today that it could be the most useful of all the metrics we have so far and the easiest uh, to actually take both during your training and make something useful of and to evaluate afterwards. But before I do that, um, we have to say that, you know, why are we measuring things in the first place? You know, so we're going to try and, and give you some general ideas of, you know, why don't we just not measure anything and just train by feel? Um, and I hope that discussion might be relevant even to those of you who after this call think, well, or after this podcast think, look, I'm still going to be training just by pace and heart rate and my feeling. Um, so, you know, stay tuned, you know, with us just for a little bit longer in case that's how you feel. Other than that, I think I'm speaking to, again, two broad demographics like your cell phone people who like metrics, um, but they think, do I really need another one? Um, and then there will be people also listening who are like, great, you know, another metric because there are some among us who can't have enough. But yeah. as a coach and as an athlete, I have come to a place where what I really want is a number that really captures what is actually the effort that my body is putting into a particular running task. And that's not easy because there's a lot that goes into that. Um, in terms of there's a lot of different metrics that will give you an indication of how much effort are you actually expending, which is so how much power are you producing, but none of them capture it in isolation. So, you know, really, if you wanted traditionally, if you want to measure that, you need 
a heap of different ones and you kind of need to triangulate them. And that's not useful when you're out there on, on the mountain or in the middle of a race, you know, especially not if you're starting to get oxygen deprived because you can't be looking at, you know, five, six, seven different things and to try and make um, a decision. And the second thing you want is you want it to be really quick and responsive. You know, so that the this is a problem both with GPS and with heart rate, more so with heart rate, is that the moment you change the effort, the heart rate actually takes a good while to respond, which is something we've discussed before. But even pace is not perfect because, you know, it is satellites looking at your position and trying mm -hmm. to see how quickly is this person moving from one position to another. So depending on coverage um, and obstructions, you know, like winding roads and tall buildings and trees, even, you know, GPS can be a little bit iffy as a real-time feedback for intervals. It, it can. And I'm sure Renny, there's been many an athlete out there, say in the marathon distance, just to give one example, who might think that they're on for a sub three hours or a sub four hours for all of a sudden to, they get to the final corner, but they're actually about 60 seconds or 90 seconds out or their, their, their GPS is about four or 500 meters, if not more, out. And their, their sub three hours or their sub four hours turns into a, a 401 or a 402 because of the GPS system being um, not exactly 100%. So I'm curious to see how accurate were the, the power metrics uh, are going to be for us. Yeah, one thing there to consider is with the because the power metrics, we'll be talking generally first about what, what is power. So why are you measuring it? But what you allude to there is how is it measured? So some watches measure it today, um, but they do it, as we'll see, they, they do it slightly less precise than the other way, which is a foot pod. And the reason is having a foot pod and the movement of the leg is can produce through all the different sensors that are in a pod like that. You know, you're talking about gyroscopes, barometers, accelerometers, like there's, there's a lot of technology in these things. Uh, that gives you a better idea of what's actually happening in terms of, of, of the power output. Um, but that also, because you have accelerometers and barometers in it, allows you to capture something called real-time pace. So that's a little bit of a side thing, but that, that's kind of a bonus we get if we invest in that sort of technology to measure power, which is what we'll talk yeah. about. You get kind of the real-time pace as a bonus because that sort of device, you know, happens to, um, to capture that. I don't know if, I know Garmin, for instance, have their own foot pod, and I think Chorus has as well. I don't remember off the top of my head what they capture. So just if someone is listening and they think, well, all I want is real-time pace, it's possible you could get that just by getting some kind of foot pod, uh, but I don't yeah. know off the top of my head. Sure. And of course, even using, say, our other measurement tool that, that we love to use, heart rate, that can be affected by different things as well. So it's not always 100% reliable. For example, if stress levels are higher than usual, if we've had a bad night's sleep, even the adrenaline on race day can cause your heart rate to go up a couple of beats, maybe higher than it normally would be for that particular effort. So as much as we love pace and heart rate, they're, they're not without their flaws either. So, uh, so yeah, so keep going essentially, Renny. Let, let's hear more about this power. Yeah, so heart rate, to finish that one off, it has a few, it's, it's sensitive to some things like what you mentioned, there are various different types of stresses, dehydration, heat. Um, but actually the biggest problem in many ways is that um, a lot of the, efforts that we do, especially high intensity efforts, sometimes they're quite short 
And this is some, this is feedback I often got from my clients, you know, when they were doing things like 3030s, that they happened to look at their heart rate because they were aware of what their zone four, you know, the VO2 zone heart rate was. But they're like, um, I couldn't get it, the heart rate up there until mm-hmm. after the hard interval or the hard repetition and that's because it's too short you know so this is often a problem with 30s um and with 200s and and 400s maybe if you're really really fast but um so for sure on on hill sprints rennie as well that's a big issue too isn't it yeah huge and actually the issue is broader when it comes to sprints because with with sprints it's not just that the heart rate doesn't have time to respond but it's not actually relevant at all um, yeah. because in sprint training, what you're actually looking for to really challenge your ability to produce maximum force, which is what sprint training is about. You know, you want to produce more force in a very short span of time than you've ever done before. And um, so to do that, you actually need to know, well, what is my force production? And you can't measure that with heart rate in on the flat. You could measure it with pace. Right, because you could say, well, I if if I'm a sprinter, it's it, there's very simple goals that you could run to, as long as it's you could say a reasonably level place. And for hill sprints, you could get around that by saying, well, uh, I know this hill here. There's a 60 meter stretch. I'm always going to use this hill. Okay, so I'm going to go all out, and maybe the first time I hit it in 12 seconds, whatever. Um, and you could work on that and say, well, as long as I'm hitting around 12 and building it trying to get it under 12, then I know I'm, I must be working very close to my maximum power. But yeah. that is very limiting, you know, in terms of you don't have a lot of flexibility then in how you, where and how you do your hill sprints. Yeah. And people we will be used to this term power, Rene, probably from maybe reading articles about the pro cyclists, the pelotons and the big tours. But we can use power very much for running across all the different disciplines. And um, people might think that, oh, well, maybe power is, is only a, a, a measurement that we can use on the trails, on the mountains, but we can actually use it on the flat as well, can't we? Yeah, you could use it anywhere because, see, the, the thing with effort is that it's even on the flat, there are other things that affect your effort. Uh, heat, for instance, is obviously an example. You know, the hotter it is, the, the harder it is. But wind is, is more of a problem generally. Um, yeah. so we saw that at that race in Wesley College, on right? That the little downhill that was there had the fiercest headwind. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so that obviously you, that means the actual subconscious effort that your body experiences changes all the time, unless yeah. you're running on a totally level surface. Um, where there is absolutely no other environmental factors, you know, no bends, no winds, nothing. So having the power meter or the effort there allows you to kind of even that out. So that's kind of a simple explanation of the f- what this figure is that most of these devices produce. You know, it's kind of like a normalized figure of effort. And that is how your body, running is really all about that. because running is about you know getting to the finish line of either a, a session or especially a race um with the perfect pacing meaning that you don't want to arrive at the finish line with a lot still left in the tank and you don't want to die off completely well before it either 
So based on that, your body is always, if we took the watches and the foot parts away and we say, well, the body is actually trying to do this, right? The body is always trying to say, how much energy am I using? And it looks at it from two perspectives. How big is the change? You know, how, how quickly am I asked to change energy? You know, if it's too quick, you, you get this feeling of extreme fatigue sometimes. You know, if you put in a massive surge um, at, in the middle of a race, for instance. But other than that, it, it does what's called a, a teleological, very fancy word. It means it tries to calculate into the future based on the energy I'm using right now. How long can I maintain that? So it's always kind of a guess based on previous experience and the energy being expended right now. So really what, what power meters are trying to do is they're trying to calculate a value that comes as close as possible to the real-time effort that your subconscious body is also monitoring. Right? So that it, you could say that the number and the subjective sense of effort actually begin to match up very, very closely. Okay, so let's try and bring it into a real life training scenario. And we, we we believe in the in the benefits of using it. What we're going for our run say tomorrow. And um, do we need one of the foot pods to do it? We can't read this from our watch. We actually do need to have one of the foot pods on our shoe. Is that the first starting point? Not necessarily. So uh, Polar and Garmin, for instance, and Chorus as well, they have developed their own power. Um, field by now where they've put some kind of sensors in the watches okay but if you look at the testing on it it does appear that the foot pod one in particular okay so the market leader is stride as and i will say for full disclosure i'm not paid by them (laughs) to yeah to to market it i i picked one up um quite early so i'm what's called a stride pioneer uh, which is which is an account that you know has been with them from nearly the start I quite like their technology and I like the way they are very open and honest about what it actually measures, you know, so they seem to be a good solid outfit and they have a very good user interface and there isn't really any other footpod on the market that has, that seems to have the same level of technology, but okay. the other ones are not, you know, useless. It's just that they're not quite as accurate and each of them have some drawbacks relative to the stride but the benefit you could say you know if you're not that fast you just kind of want to test the waters with this whole thing is that if if you use what's in the watch you don't need to worry about paying for a second piece of technology and you don't need to worry about clamping something onto your shoe which is you know maybe just something you don't really want to do yeah it, it sounds any any a bit like um the the chest heart rate straps where sure some watches have the heart rate monitors built into their watch but they're just not as good as having the heart rate chest monitors on us so it, it sounds like that if we want to get as as good a power score as possible something like stride for example which are it's very light i've seen the photographs of them they're very very light they shouldn't impact your your stride in, in any way that's the way to go yeah they're absolutely tiny and it is like that you know, it's same if we want really accurate heart rate data we we use a really accurate heart rate monitor. And in some ways, the pod is even better because it doesn't have the problem that a lot of uh, heart rate monitors have, which one is they can be a little bit irritating, um, you know, that, that to wear and they might fall down around your stomach and things like that. Yeah. Um, and also they tend to have problems sometimes with readings if either you have too many layers on or if they're not lubricated properly. 
Yeah, I find I have a short shelf life, Rennie, as well. I've bought about oh, about five or six over the last couple of years just because they get rusty from wearing them every day and uh, you constantly need to be clean, cleaning them and replacing batteries and so on. But so we, we have our stride pod on. We're, we're going out the door, Rennie, and talk us through the, the actual, say, say 60-minute run. Let's start off with an easy um, aerobic capacity run with a nice, easy conversational pace. What type of power metrics are we going to see? Is this something that we were, were glancing down to look at on our watch, just like we do with our pace, with our heart rate? Or are we waiting till we get home and we load up all the information onto the laptop and then we look at the power? Or how do we, how do we use it as we're going on? Let's take it the example of an easy run, first of all. Well, this is a really good real-time metric. So you just, when, depending on the watch you have, when you first, you pair it up, let's say with a foot pod to use that example, because that's what I use myself. And all you have to do is you have to add a field, you know, so you download it. I use a Garmin watch. Okay. But it's very similar process for most watches. Uh, so I, I go to what's called Garmin connect IQ, which is where you download all the apps. And I download a field that's called stride S T R Y D. That's the, the brand name stride power zones. So that's the name of that field. Then all I need to do is that from the particular run I'm doing, I need to make sure I have a screen where that field is actually on. And I, I can organize that as you can with all the other fields on your watch any way I want to see it. You know, so yeah. I, I like to see it next to my pace, distance, and heart rate. Because okay, so I actually have one screen where I see the four things. Brilliant. I find that, yeah, I just think that's really nice. You know, at a glance, I have four things there and I know how I feel on top. So I actually have five pieces of information. But yeah. it's just... um. In the beginning, of course, you will be a little bit, little bit less experienced because you kind of will be familiar with heart rate. And that means if you see oh, 145, that, that means something to you because you probably have previous experiences with that heart rate. Although that is probably a little bit of an illusion in some ways because we don't always feel the same. You know, let's say whenever we run at 145, that's one of the curiosities yeah. with heart rate. Whereas when you look down and you'll see a number and let's say it'll just say 181 watts and it'll also show you what zone you're in. So that's kind of a nice little bonus. I like that. You know, so you can see, okay, zone one, 180 watt. And that means, you know, am I using, is my body producing um, the energy that it is produced when it's being challenged in zone one and zone one you know let's say that's our traditional easy zone so we've talked about that many many times that means right now the body is producing energy using fat because that's what we know you know it's pure aerobic there's not a very high demand then if i want to put in a, a stride or a sprint during this i can look down instantly and see the change in the figure right so it's, it might straight away shoot up to 600 watts or something and something you'd learn very quickly because you can just look at the dashboard you know when you come home you can see well actually what is your maximum watt output when you sprint you know you might see that it's it's 700 or something like that so that way you can very quickly get a you can make decisions you know and you can see what zones you're in and that means it's a real-time feedback tool in training that is slightly superior in that respect to heart rate right because if you were for instance sprinting with the heart rate you wouldn't see 
the response and time to, and you, yeah. could, you couldn't use it anyway. So it's kind of a bad example. A better example is with intervals, you know, that you say you, you might want to have a 20 minute tempo in the middle of your 60 minute run and you know your threshold zone. I'm, I'm looking at an athlete here in front of me and, you know, her threshold zone is 163 to 181 watts. And so she would just have to, you know, if she was ticking along at 145, which is her easy, um, she'd just know, okay, just take it up now and get into that 163 plus zone. Um, and I keep it there, you know, and you can be, even if she's on an undulating route, mm, she doesn't yeah. have, yeah, you know, she just keep that effort and, and she'll be doing right. Whereas that could mess it up if she was looking at the pace. Sure. And that's what I was going to say that say if we're doing a tempo run on the hill somewhere. So our athletes who's using Watts will try and get to that range of say 163 to 181 in that particular example for their hill session as well for their hill tempo run. That's where they need to get to, as opposed to we can't use pace most of the time on the hills and there's no point. So instead of getting, okay, I want to be at four minutes per kilometer, no use was on the hills using something like this, but I know my wattage should be 163 to 180. And is that ready for going both up and down? Because obviously we're going to be sprinting down, generating lots of power going downhill. W- will that apply for going both up and down that same range? Well, it depends you, how the workout is. You know, so often in hill sessions, your downhill is your recovery. You know, so you'd obviously try and bring the power down to zone one then as you're going down, which would probably be quite easy. Um, but let's say you're doing, um, you could be doing up and down intervals or you yeah. could be doing a race. Race is a good example, I think, because it's a bit easier to get your head around it. There's a lot of books on this topic and um, the, the author of one of them is a Dutch guy. I think he's called Hans van Dijk. He kind of has, he, he says, because, you know, as we have discussed previously on this podcast, you, you get slightly less back from the downhill than you lose on the uphill. And it's similar with wind, actually. You know, you get a little bit less from a push wind than a headwind. Uh, so he's, he recommends if you were trying for an even effort, you should run at a slightly lower wattage uh, going down and coming up. But, you know, it's really, it was very, very close. You know, he was talking, it's something about five watts of the difference. Um, But really, they would recommend for most that you stay pretty much even. Okay, very, 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 it's fascinating, really, isn't it? And I'm just thinking, say, a lot of our listeners, they like to combine, say, the hills with, say, a road running season as well. Um, Do you have any examples, say, of, say, in a road marathon? For example, we've got through our, our hill summer racing season. We, we go on to Dublin in, in October. Um, how would Watts come into the equation there on, say, a road marathon like that? And um, What's a typical wattage range, maybe, that uh, a marathon runner might be looking at? There's no typical range. So that's something to understand. It's individual because the, we have very different body sizes, first of all. Okay. Right, so that so that hugely dictates the the watch that you produce, and I can actually see it because the the two athletes I'm looking at here in the background as we speak, um, see one of them is is a man who is is reasonably large. Uh, he weighs nearly ninety kilos, um, so he has what's called a critical power. We'll come back to that, but basically think of it if you're listening as lactate threshold, okay, yeah. very similar. He's got that at two hundred ninety six watts, okay, and for him because of his weight, that means. At that speed, it's about your best one-hour effort. He's using 3.4 watts per kilo. 
Okay, that's what she's producing. But then mm-hmm. I looked, the, the other lady is, is quite small. And she actually has a higher critical power than him, relatively speaking, 3.7 watts per kilo. Okay, But here's the trick. She only weighs 50 kilos. So her critical power in terms of absolute is only 181. Right? So just mm-hmm. take, take that comparison. He is over 100 watts more he's producing. But because he's also much bigger... It's actually less per kilo, but the zones of these two people look totally different. Yeah, of course. It's so personalized, isn't it? Um, And then would you apply the same principles when I say of working back from our anaerobic threshold from a heart rate point of view for a marathon runner, they might typically come back, say, 10 percent and try and stay within that 10% um, range for their marathon run. Say, let's say if their heart rate is 170, they might try and run, say, around 153, 154 for their heart rate. Does the same principle apply then for wattage? Do they kind of come back maybe 10% from 290 for a male athlete there, 181 for a female athlete, and try and maintain that over the course of the, of the race? It would be it would be it would be similar, but it's a little bit more of a sophisticated calculation. Um, because mm-hmm. in when when you have the power meter, the benefit is that you have one measure of effort for all the work that you do. So that means any run you do, no matter how short or how long, you have a, a measure of effort. And over a period of 42 days, these systems they create something that's called a power duration curve. I don't know how many listeners have heard about this, but this is actually one of the most useful things, both for the coach and the athlete to look at. Because all it is, if you imagine it, it's just like uh, at the bottom axis, you've got the time that you're running. And on the vertical axis, you've got the watts that you can produce for these different times. So it's a little bit similar to what people are familiar with, you know, your peak pace over time but normalize so that every run you do regardless of what hills and wind are on it you know they they feed into the same data model so you very quickly get a picture of an athlete and yourself if you're looking at this for instance i'm looking at myself right now on in, in front of me here okay so i might see on the one side that okay there's a peak power output of 817 watts at two seconds and then the curve goes all the way over to the extreme of you know the, the longest run over two hours, you know, it might show 209 watts. But it also shows all of the interesting time periods in between in which races happen, right? So, for instance, if I wanted to run as I actually intend, I hope to, to get in at 39 something in a 10K in March. I haven't run a 10K for 13 years on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of, I, I want to know, you know, how realistic is that in current form? And all I need to do is put my cursor over there power time curve and say, well, what is actually the, the modeled wattage um, for that time period based on all of the training data of the last 90 days? Okay, and then it gives me a figure saying 269, for instance. Then, okay. I, I, that, so that's, that is one way to go about it as, as coaches. You can go and look on the duration curve because the, the benefit of that versus the old way where you have one marker and then you estimate, you know, so you might say, okay, if you're, it's, it's 85% of your threshold is that, that that's, that's just an assumption, right? It, it's mm-hmm. an assumption that quite often is close enough. Yeah. But what if an athlete 
heavily emphasizes their training, let's say, towards intensity, then that might be the wrong assumption versus if they heavily emphasize it versus endurance. And that's really what the power duration curve shows in many ways. It shows you where your training is emphasized and how quickly, you know, in what areas you're strong, I should say. Yeah. Okay, so, so some people might have a massive uh, maximum output, but then it just drops off a cliff very quickly. And that would be someone who's very powerful, you know, but not very well trained. Mm. And you could have athletes actually who are very good at the edges, but the middle of their power curve is actually fairly paltry because maybe they have neglected all the moderate and the tempo running for a long time. And, and that would obviously show up in your race, right? Because if you don't do all the steady work and you, maybe you've done no steady work for six months, you might run particularly badly if you go and run races in that area, you know, between, let's say, 30 minutes and 70 minutes. So by having this as your tool, you can, you, you can as a coach, or if you just self-coach using this, you can get, in my opinion, better predictions. Right? And you, there is a race calculator with these tools, you know, where you could go in and say, I want it either by power, um, so, and you just type in your distance, and then it'll give you a figure. Yeah. Um, the, the athletes there, Renan, that you've mentioned that you've been working with and looking at their parametrics. Um, how have those athletes bought into it? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people like myself who were comfortable with looking at heart rate, pace, RPE. And, you know, some of us, especially like myself, we don't like change. We don't like new things that we have to go and study and get used to. Um, what, what has the take up been like with the athletes that you've had this conversation with? Um, do they enjoy it? is a little bit too tricky and complicated for them or are they like, yeah i've seen that on the tour de france that's for me let's get it into into my training as well and let's power up those hills and um, well, what's what's the reaction being like it's become more positive and that's why i thought this was a good time to talk about it in the podcast um and not five years ago because yeah. i find now that people think the interface is so good that they take to it really quickly you know they i had a client the other day who was a little bit uncertain about where training was going because they'd been quite tired. You know, they had a busy period. So a lot of the workouts had felt very arduous because of that, you know, work stress and things like that. But then they got really buoyed because they could see on their stride um, phone app that what's called the, the critical power that we talked about had been on a steady upward trend for the last few months. Okay. You know, so, so that was a good example of, it, it provides a quick visual feedback that although it might be difficult for the athlete to actually see that they're getting better, if you look at the effort data versus the, the weight, this person was clearly improving. So that at this stage, I think most people would get used to it fairly quickly. And yeah. just because the, the graphical user interface is very simple and, and they offer a lot of support with it. At the same time, you don't have to actually relearn too much because it integrates with everything. You know, you have the power metric feeds into Strava at the moment, if you want to look at it there. Um, if you use training peaks, you know, as our clients do, you can put a workout in training peaks and it'll move into the, the power platform, in this case, Stride, and the other way around. You know, mm. so there's, there's a lot of integration where, you know, really all it is will be another number for you to look at. Yeah. And I know as coaches, it's funny because we're often paid to tell people to slow down, 
based on what we observe from pace and heart rate and oh you're just pushing too hard there guys you need to just back off a little bit i presume then it's the same with the parametric as well if you see somebody producing too high a parametric can you say listen jimmy jane actually you, your power outage is just too high for that particular run you need to bring it back down again does it work the exact same as that as well it does yeah exactly the same um and what you can add to it which you can argue whether it's really that different than the argument you would have with an athlete with heart rate but i would say because you can explain to people this is the actual effort that you're asking your body to do and if yeah. and if you've explained to the athlete when you ask the body to do different efforts it has a different effect on your physiology you know as we know it's very obvious at the extremes if you do easy running you're you're pressing the fat machine if you're doing sprints you're really working on you know neuro neuromuscular factors that that have to do with that and then in between it's a mix of fuels etc so you know once people understand well there is a diff you're going to get a different response when you run in a different range uh then there should be kind of more of a it should be maybe a little bit easier mentally on days where you don't really want to be running slow mm. to say look i know what i'm trying to do here and I, so i will stay under these let's say for this lady here i'll stay under 145 watts because that's where this magic happens yeah so in that way i find it very helpful especially because you you then know that you don't have that uncertainty factor of oh is is my heart rate if that's what you're looking at affected by something else that means I'm probably not actually in the right zone. Yeah, there's a big advantage with that. And maybe when I just did the final question to, to close the conversation off, the, the majority of our listeners, we know they, they love the trails, they love the mountains. And maybe I had the misconception that power was better used in the mountains on tough climbs where we can see our wattage as opposed to not being able to use pace. Um, do, do you think it, it is more beneficial for us trail and mountain runners to be used on trail and mountain runs or, or from what you've seen now over the last couple of years that is actually just as good on all terrains? Um, what, what do you think? It's probably just as good because there's there's so many different ways you can use it. You know, so where... So for the main trick is for, I think the main difficulty for a trail runner is, is actually setting the time goal. Um, and there it's, it's helpful, but just as helpful as for road racing, but in a different way, because what we just said there, well, for road racer, you might put in the um, time you want, and then you'll see what is the, the what that, that it suggests. And then you can go and look at your training and say, how long have I actually maintained that previously? But you can actually do something similar for, for trail running. You know, you could look at the races you want to target. What sort of times am I looking for? Mm -hmm. And you could say, well, on my power duration curve, what sort of power have I maintained? Let's say you want to run a hill race in summer in sub 60. You could say, well, what is my sub 60 watt? And you can very quickly, you can look at the runs where you did that and say, well, how hard was that actually? You know, do I think that's realistic? Um, or you can use it proactively and say, okay, well, I need to make sure my specific training hits there, you know, in that watt range. But it really is the only thing with road racing is that you will eventually have to make some of your workouts pace specific if you stick with your pace goal. Yeah. You know, so that whereas for trail running, we don't have to make that uh, distinction because you, it's very rare that you go with a pace goal. 
you yeah, know you, yeah. might, you might have a, a time goal but there's just so many ways um to use it you know and in actually the nearly the best thing is how it can meld the two things together because it allows you if you are someone who enjoys to do multidisciplinary running you know you do like we did you know cross country trail road all together all of that training data feeds into the same analysis yeah so yeah. It, it's, it also means you have better data about your training zones when you change from one thing to another i think that's quite a big selling point yeah I, i'm just laughing here Rene, and i'm just wondering will we ever get to the point where come the dublin marathon in october we'll have the sub air pacers with their big red balloons and will we ever have you know the big red balloons with you know, 600 watts for the big six foot uh, rugby type bodies. And, or, or will we have a, a pacer for 200 watts with a, with a big red balloon for a slightly lighter frame? Uh, I'm not too sure it will ever get there. Um, maybe not in the next couple of years, but who knows into the no, future. No, oh, it won't. It won't. It won't. Because it's, it's, see, this is maybe a good thing to have in it. It's not useful that way um, <laughs> because it's, as I say, the figure is individual. Yeah, uh, you know, whereas the you just have to look at it yourself. So in many ways, you have to do like what was it, Chris Froome? I think in Tour de France, it was up um, the, the the bald mountain Ventoux. You know, when the year he won it, I think it was the first or second year he won the Tour de France. He was just sitting on that climb, looking down at his power meter. I know it's not very romantic, but in in cycling, it's possible to be that accurate with the measurement that they can actually hit just the right effort so that they come totally finished to the finish line and not 100 meters before it yeah. that and they time it so well and that's why it's so good in, in cycling is it how often have we seen you know the, the the winners of stages just time it perfectly because they have their wattage under complete control yeah and some people feel it's taking the magic out of it and maybe it has you know because you don't get those kind of over uh optimistic attacks where someone yeah. just totally you do actually still see it but not as much it's not as wild as it used to be that is the drawback in some ways but if you are the person running a marathon uh, you don't want it to be wild you know that's that's not your goal and and i said the only difference is that the you do rely on an algorithm in running because there are you're not on a bike where all of the energy that is produced inside the body they goes into the pedals on a relationship that's totally predictable, you know, and there's no recycling of energy happening. But mm. so it, there is a slight difference. If people really want to read up on it, there is actually a slight difference in what a running power meter shows and a cycling power meter shows. So you can't use those two figures interchangeably. You know, don't compare them. They're, they're sports-specific figures. Um, what's good about the ones they've developed now is that it's useful you know that's kind of the key they've managed to to get a number that is an accurate reflection of the effort that you're putting in second by second yeah. and that also helps us to see what is actually the training load because i think we had a conversation on where we were saying one of the problems when you try and calculate how stressful is a workout is that you take the heart rate and you take the time relative to let's say someone's threshold heart rate but that doesn't really capture how much variation there was in the run you know because mm -hmm. there's a big difference if you run it very uneven versus where if you run it very even these types of tools can 
get us to that level of analysis because they actually capture your relative intensity every second yeah. you know, and add it into the calculation. So it, as precise as these things can be, you know, when, when you go in, you get a stress score, um, you know, and it's either minus or plus something. Um, and they then provide you, this is kind of goes to, you know, helping you with the whole train, don't strain. Um, if you are the type of person who needs help in that department, which I think a lot of us do, you know, you, you kind of get a little bit of a visual cue whenever you log in to see, okay, wow, yesterday my running stress balance was minus 30, you know, and you can then see that that's called the cautionary area, right? So they, a lot of the watches do something similar now, you know, based on, on other data. But I think it's very good, especially for the self-coached athlete, you know, who has no one to look for, for that sort of, of uh, what would you say, um, protection. Yeah, well, listen, Randy, I think uh, we can we can call it a day at that. Thank you very much for taking a deep dive in that. I'm going to go off and Google uh, the, the watts used by Kipchoge for his sub two-hour run, and I might try and compare it against the the what's used by the UTMB winners in the last couple of years and just to see how they compare although as you're saying it is very individual and very much dependent on the type of terrain that we're running in Many, it was a fascinating chat and hopefully some of the listeners they will go and take their own deep dive on it and sure if it can help them with their training well listen fantastic if anybody wants to get in touch with Rene, Rene they can get you on runningcoach.ie and I know your inbox is always open as well Rene thanks a million for that deep dive on what's no problem won't talk to you that's a wrap for everybody this week i thought we'd go a little bit longer on the coaching slot this week for a change as i often see from the listening stats from our shows that the episodes that are most listened to are the ones that are high in content on training and racing tips so hopefully you found that chat with renee useful bye for now guys have a great week's training everybody and just a reminder to pop over to patreon to help support the trail running ireland podcast if you get the chance everybody get your running gear on Let's go.